Everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. Today we are in John chapter 4. John chapter 3 was one of Jesus' first major discourses within the gospel where he taught Nicodemus on the necessity of the new birth. And chapter 4 begins another discourse, this time not with a religious leader of Israel, but with a woman of Samaria. In chapter 3, Jesus taught about the importance of the new birth. In chapter 4, he will talk about the importance of new worship. Let's read. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his sons, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come to her. Here, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he? Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you say, so you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. And after two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. All right, so we'll stop there. There's one more portion of this uh, text. We'll come back to it. But I want to just, I wanted to unfold this entire narrative between Jesus and the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. Man, this is so powerful, right? The background of this this incident is very important because behind all of this is that profound contempt that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Not surprisingly, the Samaritans responded with enmity towards the Jews, and when traveling between Galilee and Judea, many Jews would often cross the Jordan twice, then rather pass through Samaria. But Jesus takes a very different route. He goes straight through the heart of Samaria, and there he makes amazing waves by gathering those to himself. Despite centuries of deep mutual suspicion between Jews and Samaritans, despite all the alarm bells that would ring at a man being alone with an unattended woman, Jesus, after he comes to the, the well of Jacob, he goes there, and it says that he did so because he was famished. He was tired. This gives us a beautiful picture of his human nature. Christ was indeed the fullness of God incarnate, but he was fully man. And he would experience fatigue and exhaustion because of that that human nature. So he is there relaxing and the disciples have gone out to go get food for him. And Jesus asked the woman for a drink from Jacob's well. And she basically starts laying out like, whoa, you know. That's interesting. Why would you ask me? First of all, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, and I'm a woman on top of that. So there's two reasons off the bat why him asking her for water would have been shocking. Right? Jews, she even says, right, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And, and so she's shocked by this and why this is happening. But I love what Jesus said. If you knew the gift of God, this is verse 10, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Right? Here, one of John's most important themes is introduced. That is water. The water of life promised here in John chapter 7. This water is not just regular water, right? This is a water of life. And Jesus says he alone 
offers it. This is an incredible gift of God. Notice the grace here, right? I'm offering you the living water. That is grace. Grace is when Christ comes to you and offers you living water. That is the gift of salvation. That is the, that is the grace that you have received if you are in Christ. Is Jesus came to you and said, Here is my living water. Drink of me and you will never be thirsty again. Just like the Jews and Nicodemus before, the Samaritan woman was having a hard time understanding the terms, right? They, they were thinking physically, temporally, but they couldn't see through it to the greater spiritual truths. But just like Jesus did with Nicodemus, Jesus shows immense patience and love, just like he does for all of us, by articulating and explaining what this living water is, namely, he is the living water. Notice though what he does here. This is fascinating. All of a sudden, in this teasing dialogue, Jesus questions the woman about her husband, then revealing that he knows about her sad and checkered past. She all of a sudden changes the subject, right? So Jesus, what he's doing here is very similar to what he did with with Nathaniel by saying, hey, before you met me, I saw you sitting under the tree, right? Here, Jesus is displaying his omniscience and his power in knowing her past. And not only that, but this further adds to the nature of God's grace. That Christ is saying, is not what he's, what he's doing here is showing her that the living water he's offering her has nothing to do with her righteousness or her state, but rather on the basis of his grace and his grace alone. Right? And so... She says, listen, I, I, I don't have a husband, you know. And he's like, well, you're right, and you're currently living in sin, right? And so she does what we all do very well. She changes the subject. She goes, oh, go, oh well, let's talk about worship, right? <laughs> she goes right into what we know to be the central, uh, kind of the central point of division between the Jews and the Samaritans, and that is really the place of worship. Jews worshiped in Jerusalem and Samaritans on Mount Gerizim. But Jesus is doing something which will upstage both. His prophetic knowledge convinces her that he is the long-awaited Messiah. And as the long-awaited Messiah, he seeks to demonstrate to her that the location of where people will worship has nothing to do with what is what he has ushered in. Rather, that because he has come, He has ushered the age where all of God's people will worship Him in spirit and in truth. True worship is contrasted with worship regulated by the temporary provisions of the law, especially the separation of Jews and Gentiles and the requirements of temple worship at Jerusalem. The ceremonial and sacrificial aspects of the law were not false. They were merely temporary and provisional. Worship in spirit, that is worship in the Holy Spirit, will be the primary marker of this new covenant age. He continues the work begun by Jesus, and prominent marks of the age of the Spirit are the removal of the barrier between Jews and Gentiles, a barrier which was absolutely destroyed at the cross of Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. This is a reality of what it is that we as Christians will be the temple of God, and thus The worship that we must offer is that of spirit and truth.
It is spiritually driven and it is focused and directed by the word of God, truth. And as Jesus reveals all this, she comes to realize that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And she goes and she eagerly tells her fellow Samaritans that the Savior of the world has come. I love this text here. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Brothers and sisters, I pray that that will be the same truth with us. May the Lord see fit to bring many, even if it's just one, even if it's just one, that the Lord may see fit to bring one to salvation through our testimony as we tell them that Christ has come, the living water by which we will never thirst again, the Savior of the world. He has come. May the Lord use that testimony and what He has done for us in His amazing grace to bring many to salvation. This final section here where Jesus heals the official son, beginning verse 46, we read, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. All right. So here we see an officer who was in service to Herod Antipas, and he comes to Jesus because he recognizes that he can heal his son who is at the point of death. We're not sure exactly what it was, but Jesus nevertheless looks to him and says, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Right? And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child go, dies. And here's the key. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That was it. That's all that was needed. Christ spoke. This was a word with power to heal. Not merely a prophecy that he would recover. Christ spoke it into existence, just like he did in the beginning when he brought all the creation into existence. He spoke it into being. Christ alone can do that. We don't get to do that. We don't have divine authority or power. Christ spoke it. His word is powerful and sufficient. And what brought it to pass? What was the reality? What was the agent that was required? The means that God uses for that divine power to be put on display? It's merely believing it. Believe in the word. Believe in the power and sufficiency of Christ's word to do what it says it'll do. The, the, the father didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa that, that's not enough. No, he believed. When Christ spoke, he said, that's enough. That's all I need to know. That is sufficient and powerful. And when he goes home, what does he find? A healed son. 
And he finds out when the fever left him. And they told him. And he knew that was exactly when Christ spoke those words. Notice there was no delayed deliverance. When Christ speaks, it's immediate. Bam. God said, let there be. And there was. That's what happens with Christ. His word is powerful. It is sufficient. It is almighty. It is mighty to save. We have to believe it though. Will we take God at his word? Will we take Christ at his word? Oh, may we do so. That the sickness of sin may forever be, let, be, be taken from us as we trust in the word. For when God speaks, it does not return void. His word is powerful and sufficient. And that is where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is the nature of true worship. We have saw what the picture of the new birth is, but this is the nature of new birth. Worshiping in spirit and truth. And what is truth? It is the word of God. The word of Christ. May we believe it. Hold fast to it. That the sickness of sin may be carried away from us. And that we may rely on the word of the Lord. The powerful and perfect word of the Lord. This is the nature of the new worship. Spirit and truth. Build upon the word. Let us live faithfully within it. God bless.